That's a good one, isn't it? Yeah. Y'all picked the right day to come to church. Well, good morning, everybody. All right. It's great to see all of you. Y'all look beautiful from up here. I'm telling you. You, just, you guys do. Hello to all of you joining us online at home. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I know you had the chance to watch the Raider game right now. They're playing in Buffalo. But uh, you made a decision to tune in. Hi. God bless you guys. All right, hopefully you grabbed an outline on your way in. You got a bulletin there. You can uh, follow along with me today. You can scan that QR code as well. And uh, if you got your Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of John, please. The book of John in the New Testament, chapter 9. We are in a series called The Miracles of Jesus. And uh, what we're doing is we're going on a journey with Christ. We are uh, envisioning ourselves being right there in the midst of it all with him and his disciples as they're going through life. And we're looking at seven different miracles over this season, and we're seeing what was recorded in Scripture, and we're looking to learn what Jesus was trying to teach his followers through them. So last week we looked at the water into wine miracle, and today we're looking at the miracle of when Jesus opened the, bl- uh, the eyes of the blind man, and we're calling it opening blind eyes. So if you know the story, on the surface, we may be quick to kind of gravitate to the awesomeness of the physical healing part of the story. I mean, it is pretty cool. You have to admit, it's pretty awesome that Jesus could do what he did and just give a man who was born blind sight, right? I mean, that's pretty cool. But there's also a spiritual and psychological part of this miracle as well, and that is what we're going to be tuning in today because that part is actually more valuable to us. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that we're living in a broken world. Would you agree to that, church? No surprise to us. And sometimes there's, are, there are just things that happen that just don't seem to make sense to us. Things that we look at and we ask God, why? For example, I grew up in Fresno. And I went to a, a elementary school, Powers Elementary School. And, and this school shared a parking lot with Ginsburg School. And Ginsburg was the school that the children who had muscular dystrophy and other severe physical needs, they went to that school. And so my principal administrated both campuses. So in actuality, we were two campuses, one school. As a result, uh, anytime they could mainstream any of the kids from Ginsburg, they would put them in classes at my school. So every year I saw kids who were born with all kinds of physical birth defects, And I had a couple of these students that were in my classes every single year of elementary school. And I remember asking God when I was just a young kid, why, God? How come they had to be born this way? Some of these kids were actually really good friends of mine. We played on the playground together. And I just couldn't understand why. It just didn't make sense to me. And here my wife and I are. We're parents of a special needs child. As a pastor, I minister to people who lose loved ones. It's part of the job. They pass into eternity. It's a difficult part of ministry, I'll be honest with you, and I never get used to it. Some losses are expected when people live to be 175 years old. We expect them to pass on. But the unexpected ones, yeah, those ones, those ones are really tough. Candidly, church, many times they just don't make sense to me. They're what we call unexplainable tragedies. In seminary, they don't have a class on how to tell a nine-year-old child that his father's 
gone on to be with Jesus in heaven. Every time I visit a children's hospital, it's difficult for me because after I'm in there, I leave, I go sit in my car. Before I even turn on the engine, I wipe the tears from my eyes. It's bed after bed after bed of kids who are suffering. That's difficult. It just doesn't make sense to me. I'm sure in your life, you've had experiences, things that you've endured through the years, things that you've seen, things that just don't make sense to you. And when you look at them, it's blurry, it's fuzzy, it's crazy. And so we think, why, God? How come they had to, whatever it is, or, or how come, God, it just doesn't seem fair? So today, as we look at the miracle of the blind man getting healed, there is so much more to this uh, miracle than just the physical healing that the blind man was blessed with. The message that is there in the midst of it is what Jesus can do for us, and it's so much deeper. Something that all of us wrestle with is in this miracle, and that is this. It's life sometimes doesn't make sense. So in your outline, or if you got your Bible open to John chapter 9, let's start in verse 1. Here's what takes place. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, now let me stop right there. Rabbi is a term that was used to reference a teacher or a mentor, and this was common in the Jewish culture at the time. So, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents? What caused him to be born blind? So here's this man, he's born blind. The community knows who he is. He was a regular beggar on the street. This was the only way that this man could make a living because if your family didn't take care of you, your only option was to beg. And if you didn't get anything, you were just out of luck. Eventually, you'd even die. That's just how it was then, congregation. We just gotta understand that. There's no social care programs going on and being provided by the government like we have today for disabled people. So here's the disciples. They come up on this man. And I just want you to notice a couple of things here. Notice that they did not ask Jesus if he was going to fix the situation. They didn't ask Jesus if, if they could have permission to go help him. They didn't ask permission to meet any of his needs. There was no benevolence thinking going on by the disciples. None of that was any concern to them. The only thing that they were interested in knowing was who sinned, this man or his parents. In other words, Lord, who caused all of this man's problems? Because the Jews believed most problems came from sin and that you could actually sin while in your mother's womb. So in this case, right, it's who sinned, this man or his parents? It seems blurry to us, Jesus. We don't understand it. In your outline, what does God want us to see when life seems blurry to us? Number one, God wants us to see through the obstacle. The disciples walk up on the man, and the first thing they see is this obstacle, his blindness. Remember, there's no benevolent thinking going on, just a man with a problem, and they want to know why. Now pause for a moment here. In our lives, when we experience an obstacle, a blurry situation, and when we don't know the why behind the what, we often come to a place of hopelessness. And the reason is because we don't understand what's going on. 
And because we don't understand, it causes us to be really uncomfortable. And when we get there, what we tend to do, congregation, if you look into your own life, you'll probably see this, is we often blame someone or we blame something. And that is exactly what the disciples did in this text. They come to that point, they see the blind guy, and they instantly go to blaming him or his parents. And so Jesus comes in now in verse 3, and he looks beyond the obstacle, the man's blindness. And he sees something bigger and better beyond it. Look with me at verse 3. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So Jesus is looking beyond the obstacle. He sees beyond the hopelessness. He sees what the, 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 the tension that the disciples were feeling in their hearts. And, and he sees something greater on the other side. So if you're sitting out here today, you're watching us online, and you're wondering, am I like the disciples? Am I at a place of hopelessness because of the obstacle that's right in front of me? Well, what you should do is you should test yourself. Because the moment you start placing blame, it's my own fault, or it's so-and-so's fault, or such-and-such's fault, that right there, my friend, is a dead giveaway that you have arrived at that place. The obstacle in front of you is a giant mountain at that point, and you're not seeing through it, or you're not seeing beyond it, you're looking right at it. You're not seeing what God is doing on the other side of it. So in your outline. Let's, let's get right into our own lives today. What is that mountain in your life? What is that obstacle that you have that just seems unable to be moved? I want you to identify that. Is it the doctor's report that you recently got? Is it, is it that you feel like by this point in your life, you'd be married by now? Is it at this point you feel like you should have kids? Maybe you have kids and you think you should have more kids. I've got some junior hires in our youth group I'd love to give you. Is it that you think you'd be in a a different financial place in your life than you currently are? Maybe you, you believe that you'd own a home. Maybe it's you can't physically do the things that you once could. Whatever it is, all of us have some kind of mountain in our life that we just can't seem to move. And for some of us, It just doesn't make any sense to us. And so our problem begins when our minds are just laser locked right there on that mountain. And we can't get our eyes off of it. But what about what's beyond the mountain? Does God have a purpose in the midst of this mountain in your life? Can we see beyond it? Can we see beyond the hurt and the pain? I've got a great verse for you. It's in your outline. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 2. Scripture says this. I will go before you and level the mountains. Now, let me pause right there. You didn't know that God has a tractor, did you? Yeah, he can level the mountains. He says, I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. Yes, that's good. Verse 3. I will give you hidden treasures, riches stored in secret places. Why? Here's why. He tells us, so that you may know, what church? That I am the Lord. What's the mountain in your life? What is that obstacle? 
Can you see what's beyond it? Do you see God's greater purpose? Oftentimes, people tend to focus on the size of the obstacle. And I think Jesus' point to the disciples in our text today is this. Hey, guys, don't focus on the size of the obstacle. Instead, focus on the size of the God that is beyond the obstacle. Look there instead. Because when you compare the size of your mountain to the size of the God of the Bible, I think we can all agree that our mountains are nothing more than a little bit of anthills. Okay? So the disciples ask, whose fault is it, Jesus? And he answers it with a, well, there's a greater purpose beyond this man's physical situation. Congregation, God wants us to learn a very important lesson here. Is that when life seems blurry, we need to see beyond the obstacle that's right in front of us. We need to look to what God is doing. And when life is blurry, number two, we need to see God's response to our immediate obedience. Spiritually speaking, in our lives, oftentimes God has a victory for us. He wants to demolish this mountain in front of us. And he wants to bring clarity to our lives and get rid of all this blurriness. However, the reason that we often don't experience that very victory is because there is something that God wants to do and we're not being obedient and doing it. Many times the reason we don't do what he tells us to do is because candidly in our minds, it doesn't make sense to us. Maybe we've sensed what God has told us to do. Maybe the Holy Spirit has spoken to us through the word of God and he has illuminated the truth to our minds. But our response was, yeah, I'm not so sure. It doesn't make sense to me. I've talked to 10 different people I know and no one else has experienced anything what I'm going through. So I'm not doing that. Now in Bible times, contemporary Jews they believed that a person could sin while they were in their mother's womb. That's what we have here with the disciples in the story. And then there were also what we call Hellenistic Jews, and these were people who were influenced by Greek philosophers like Plato and Aristotle. And, and they believed in what's called a pre-existence, meaning that they believed that your soul could be somewhere else in some other realm or whatever it is, and that if you messed up there that you would come to earth and then you'd be punished here. So people with disabilities and those types of things, they were seen in public as a result of mistakes in some other past life. So imagine, here's the blind man. Over and over again, over the course of his entire life, he's heard all the stories. Who sinned? You or your folks? This belief, folks, was not uh, just common to the disciples. It was a common belief of the day. So all day long, the blind man's hearing this his whole life. And so here he is, he's begging on the side of the road and out of nowhere, he hears a conversation taking place about him from a group of men a few feet away from him. That's Jesus and the disciples. And then he hears the footsteps of one of them approaching him. It's Jesus. Now remember, he's blind. 
He has no idea who's standing in front of him. He has no idea what Jesus looks like. Jesus doesn't tell him anything about what he's about ready to do. All of a sudden, the blind man hears something. Look with me, chapter 9, verse 6. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Now let's stop right there. Now I don't know how much saliva it takes to make mud, but I've asked a few women to come up here and demonstrate what that looks like. So go ahead. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Y'all want to see what that looks like? Not really. You know those junior hires? (laughs) They live for stuff like this, right? Yeah. All right, so here's the blind man. He's sitting here, and, and all of a sudden he hears the sound of Jesus doing his spit thing. I'm sure we can all envision what that sounded like. And so here's the blind guy. And he's wondering, what is going on? The very next thing that the blind guy experiences is the sensation of this wet mud now touching his skin. Now, put yourself in this man's place for a second. You there with me now? And then he hears this, verse 7. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam, which that word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now let's just stop real quick. The man has no idea who Jesus is. To him, this is a complete, total stranger who just spit on the ground, made some mud, and now put it on his eyes. And now he has to stop working and now go clean up. Jesus tells him to go wash. I mean, yeah, if you're there, wouldn't you need to go clean up too? Yeah, I bet I'm going to go wash. Thanks a lot, man. I'm missing out on 30 minutes of pay now. The whole thing didn't make any sense to the blind man. But notice what he does. He follows instructions. He could have went any place else to clean up, but he went to the pool that he was instructed to go clean up by Jesus. So for us, there are times in life when God calls us to do something. Oftentimes, it does not make sense to us. And at the same time, in our Christian lives, we're praying, Lord, Lord, please remove the mountain, remove the obstacle, deliver me from the pain that I'm in, whatever the prayer is that is you pray. Because that obstacle that's right in front of you is bothering you. And yet at the same time, we push back on God and we say, eh, I'm not going to do what you really tell me to do. We don't obey. Why is that? Because what he's asking us to do seems to make no sense to us. So in your outline, what has God asked you to do that doesn't make sense? Congregation, I want to encourage you to identify that. What has God called you to do? Whatever it is. And for future reference, might I add, whenever God impresses upon you to do something, he wants you to do it at the appointed time that he tells you. Imagine, you know, when you're raising your teenagers and you ask them to mow the lawn on Friday afternoon at four o'clock when they get home from school. I don't think you mean Saturday. You mean Friday at four o'clock, right? 
Here's the reality for us. When God asks us to do something, he wants us to do it at the appointed time, he tells us. Because as you see in your outline, the reality is, is delayed obedience is disobedience every single time. Sometimes we even ask God for a mulligan. We'll say, God, hey, I'm going to pray about it. The blind man didn't do that. He didn't say, I'll go pray about it before I walk down to the pool of Siloam. He didn't tell Jesus, you know, hey, I'm going to go talk to a few of my rabbi buddies and get their opinion about what you're doing here, or I'm going to go talk to 10 of my friends first. He didn't do that. What did he do? He obeyed. What if there is a breakthrough in your own life that you're hoping and praying for and you're just waiting to happen, but God's got your life on pause because you haven't been obedient to what he's called you to do. All because it doesn't make sense to you. I want you to look with me in your outline at Psalm 119. Three different verses in that very psalm. Verse 10 says, I see you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Verse 151 says, you are near, O Lord, and all your commands are what, church? True. In the New Testament, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, let me stop right there. Every time I read this verse, I'm reminded that God's ways are higher than my ways. When you read the teachings of Christ, church candidate, if I may be so this morning, many of what he says does not make any sense. Turn the other cheek? What? Pray for, love, bless, and do good to my enemies? The people who hate me? What? Jesus, are you kidding me? Yeah, a lot of times they don't make sense to us. The verse goes on to say, and all these things will be given to you as well. With every promise, there's a premise in verse 34. He says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So don't worry. Seek God's ways first. Be obedient when he calls us to do something. Because the quickness of our response and our compliance is directly connected to actually how much we trust him and believe what he says. So when life seems blurry to you, see beyond the obstacle in front of you and see God's response to our immediate obedience. Number three is this, is he wants us to see our blind spots. Some of you guys with newer cars, you have all the super stuff in them. All the supercomputers and all the cool gadgets and gizmos that come with today's cars. Some of you have the super awesome side sensors that tell you if there is a car on either side of you before you make a lane change. You know what I'm talking about, right? I had one of those in the minivan that I rented this last summer. It was, it was awesome. I went to make a left lane change, and before I even moved, like there's a little like buzzer going off saying there's a car there. Remember the old days? We just moved. And when you moved, you just kept moving until somebody started honking, right? Even, and the truckers, they just move even if you're honking. Right? That's how that goes. But in life, it's kind of the same way. 
We don't have detection sensors helping us with our blind spots. Consequently, we have a hard time seeing God work in life. And so when I talk about blind spots, what I mean is that we try to reconcile what God is doing in our world, in our lives, and we look through the lens of our own human experience and our own human understanding. We say, God can't do this. God won't do that. He won't do this. He can't do that. All because of whatever reason. And fill in the blank. But beloved, I want to draw you back to the story of the blind man today. Who's the person who spat on the ground and made mud and made the blind man see? Who turned the water into wine last week? His name is Jesus. Jesus can do some pretty amazing things. But we have these preconceived notions of what God can or will or won't do. Just like the Pharisees did in our story. Let me remind you, there's nothing above or beyond God. The story continues in verse 13. John 9, 13. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Uh Uh-oh. Verse 15. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed. Now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. That's pretty much how that went. Because you got to understand, the Pharisees, they actually wanted to limit what God could and could not do. They believed that God would never heal somebody on the Sabbath day. Folks, nothing is beyond God. He can change the hardest of hearts. Look at your neighbor and say, he changed me. Go ahead. Some of you aren't saying it. Now look at your other neighbor and say, he changed you. Some of you aren't saying it. God changed us. Folks, we believe in a God who can heal diseases. We believe in a God who can set people free from the bondage of sin. Church, do we believe this or not? Do we worship a God that still does miracles? Because if we don't, let's pack it up and go home. We don't even need to be here anymore. God's not going to resurrect a dead person if he can't change the heart of a lost person. Are you with me, congregation? We have blind spots that we can't see. And the Pharisees, they knew this blind man. They had seen him around the city for years. And now all of a sudden he can see? What's up with this? And they asked him how this happened. And he tells them, real simple, guys. I once was blind, but now I see. Then we get to verse 27. By now he's been blitzed with a ton of questions. And then he answered, I've told you already, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? It's kind of a backhanded compliment, yeah. Do you want to become his disciple too? Don't you wish you could have been there to see that? Verse 28. So then they hurled insults at him and said, you are one of this fellow's disciple. We are a disciple of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fella, we don't even know where he comes from. 
verse 30. The man answered, now isn't that remarkable? You don't even know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Verse 32. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a blind, a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Blind spots. We have them. Here you have the Pharisees with preconceived idea about how God functions. They've never heard of a God healing on the Sabbath day. They believed it was 100% impossible for God to have done this. It's the old cliche, right? My mind is made up. Don't confuse me with the facts. Jesus said in Mark 2, 27, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath day was meant to be a blessing rather than a burden congregation. And because of the tradition that the Pharisees were living under, they couldn't see the hand of God right in front of them working and doing amazing things. So in your outline, I want to encourage you to identify what is your blind spot? What's preventing you from seeing the power of God work in the situations of your life? You've never heard of God doing this sort of thing before. As a result, it shrinks your view of God. I remind you, nothing is beyond God. In your outline, the result of finding clarity helps us to see Jesus. This is good stuff, congregation. The Pharisees, here's what happens in the story. They end up kicking the blind man out of the synagogue. He can no longer worship because he was trying to correct them. They accuse him of being unclean, a sinner while in his mother's womb. And they rejected his Sabbath day healing. They were having none of it. So they kick him out. And then we get to verse 35. And this is an interesting part because at this point, Jesus finally introduces himself to the blind man. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Even though he had been healed now, he still has no idea who Jesus is. Okay? Okay? Tell me so so that I may believe in him. Verse 37, Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. In your outline, seeing isn't believing, congregation. Believing is seen. As you think on that, the miracle of the blind man was temporary. Wait, wait, what? Yeah, it was temporary. In other words, the blind man's still not living right now. The blind man is with Jesus. But the truth that we can learn from this verse, that is eternal. And the miracle within the miracle is not that the blind man gained his ability to see. The miracle is that this man came to believe that Jesus is Lord. That is eternal. This man is in heaven with Jesus, amen? And it's because of his faith in this story. 
And the miracle for those of us who are believers is that we were once spiritually blind. We were once dead in our sin. We were born sinners. We, we, not that we sinned in our mother's womb. It's just that we inherited a sinful nature from Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden. And the seed of sin was passed to each one of us from our earthly fathers. And now here we are. Voila. Woohoo. We're here. We were once spiritually blind. And for you as a believer, your testimony is that at some point in your life, Jesus touched your life and did something greater in you than just meet some physical need that you had. Listen to me. He healed your heart. You were dead in your sin and now you have been made alive in Christ. And you experience the very power of the cross in your life. Amen? So I want to close with this story today. There was a man named John. He was born in London in 1725. He was a son of a godly mother who loved Jesus. And his father, though, his father hated God. John's mother died when he was only six years of age. So life became very blurry to him because after all, she was young. She loved Jesus and why would a God who loves me and loves my mom take her away? So things didn't seem to make sense to him. Now John's father was a sailor. He worked in the merchant marines and John went to sea with his dad at the age of 11 to work with his father as a merchant marine. When John turned 18, he joined the British Navy Then in 1748, John rejoined the Merchant Marines and eventually was promoted to become captain of several slave ships, and he worked in this horrible industry. While at sea one day, there was a massive storm, and John perceived this storm to be God's judgment on his own life. So he went below deck to seek safety, and then he came across a book, and the book was called The Imitation of Christ. So he opened up the book, he began to read it, and God got a hold of his life right there. John came to know who Jesus was. He came to understand his grace and his mercy and his love. And that night, John gave his life to Christ, and Christ changed his ways. Later, John became an Anglican priest. And in 1788, 34 years after retiring from the slave trades, he wrote a publication and apologized for his participation in the slave trade business during his younger years. He had become an abolitionist against slavery, and he sought to honor God and teach God's word on the subject. This man's name is John. John Newton. And during his ministry as a priest, he wrote one of the most profound worship songs that has ever been created. Maybe you've heard it. It goes something like this.